I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And we've got Dolly Parton purring here. Oh so my god. She's having a bones day. A warm <laughs> gerbil day. <laughs> she's having a warm gerbil day. It's probably because she ate a steak yesterday. Um, she is just living her best damn life. She it was like the best moment of her life, like no joke. <laughs> she was like, for me? And I made the mistake, like I put it down. It was not a whole steak, people. It was like leftover steak that Ray had eaten. And um, and I like just put the lump down, being like, oh, maybe she'll Sniff want it. it. Yeah. And then she like took a hold of it and was like, this is mine now. And I was like, let me cut this up for you because I don't want you to choke. Because ch- Steaks are hard for people. Yeah. Let alone a delicate princess angel in feline form. Are you a delicate princess angel? In feline form. In feline form? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Um, I love that she ate your portion of the steak. That's really, yeah. really sweet. Well, to be fair, it wasn't enough for any. It was definitely leftovers, TBH. Sure, sure. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm picking up what you're putting down. The discarded yeah. carcass. Mm-hmm. Of a carnivore. Yeah, correct. Yeah. A car- herbivore. Carnivorous man. Omnivore. Oh, well, cows are omnivorous. Yes. Who's on first? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what's on second? <laughs> we are pulling some tarot cards today. Yeah, I just bought this beautiful deck when it I is was beautiful. down in Charlotte so over ha- uh, Halloween. What did you, um, what drew you to this particular deck? Um, so the, it's a crow tarot deck, yeah. um, by MJ Kalanani, gorgeous Kalanani. And, um, the artwork is just stunning in these. So, um, I did like a Samhain spread for mm-hmm. our friends for Halloween and the very first like six cards I pulled um, the top three were supposed to be like good positive things. And then the bottom three were more cautionary, like things to look out for because Samhain's kind of like the beginning of the, uh, witch's year. So it was like looking forward into the new year, you know, please listen to our Halloween episode for Cor- more information. Yes. Um, but the top three all like had sun and were really beautiful. And then the bottom three cards were all like pretty dark. And it was, I was just like, okay, we're bonding me and this deck. They're figuring it out. Oh yeah. Okay. So So the heart, you are bonded. I'm like, you've impressioned this deck. You've imprinted on the deck. I've imprinted on the deck, which will be our, one of our link ups for my topic this week. Oh, fun little teaser there. Really? Okay. I am. I can tell the future. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I brought the deck over and you and I have each pulled a card. Yeah. Let me, uh, okay. So my card is the high priestess, which is funny because this crow is like definitely wearing a veil. Like, does that not look like a veil? It's basically your animagus. (laughs) Your Patronus. It's my animorph. (laughs) This is me. I'm on a moon. Yeah. That's going to be you in a month and how many days? Don't. We're not giving out the date, even though I've already given out the date. You have to go back. It's an Easter egg in an old episode. Cool, cool. Please don't stalk me. But soon it's coming up. That is correct. And that will be you in animal form. 
Right. I will transform into a crow. Um, so I don't really know, like every time I do a, car- a tarot reading, I don't pull cards enough to like memorize them. But I think this particular card is like intuition-y. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm slowly learning them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like following your gut. Mm-hmm. and Do what feels right in your heart. Yeah. Which is something that's so funny because that's I, that's like my slogan. I feel like if I was like Woody and you had to like pull a string and it was like mm-hmm. somebody poisoned the water hole, mm-hmm. I feel like mine would be do what feels right in your heart. I feel like you and this card are very connected. I think it also has something to do with like divine knowledge, like right, some well, kind of connection to sharing knowledge, maybe. Like a podcast host might. Yeah. At this point, I'm just looking for all the parallels between <laughs> you and this card that I can yeah. come up with. But what's interesting is knowing that you pulled that card i pulled the very next card in the deck even though we pulled from two different spots we sure did wait the it's the next one in the deck yeah yeah huh. yours is the second one in the major arcana mine's the third oh i love an arcana i do t- especially the majors oh i mean the minors are just the worst <laughs> in the ma- you know Ursa major yeah but mine is about like motherhood and nurturing and creativity and mm-hmm. like i think it's very me it is a crow flying over fall colored trees and there's like an apple orchard and a little heart with a cup in it. Yeah, I love that. And I do I love that this is the way that you chose to like let everybody know that you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so cool of you. Thank you. Thank you. It was supposed to be a little Easter egg in about mm-hmm. nine months. You can mm-hmm. go back and find the episode <laughs> where I subtly hint. Um and how does it feel to have the second case of Immaculate Conception? It feels pretty great. I'm waiting you're on the be, keys to Walt Disney World at this point. You are going to make a lot of money. Carrie is not pregnant. Just. No. Nope. Like, no chance in hell. Even though every month when my period is running, even 30 minutes late, because mm-hmm. I can track that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, every single time I have this moment of, am I accidentally pregnant? Oh, God. Yeah. It's terrifying. Is it? It is. Oh, man. Yep. Um, however, if I were going to have a immaculate con- conception mm-hmm. pregnancy, I don't know that I am ready for like a Jesus level. It's not kid. a choice, Carrion. I'd really prefer and, like, a fixer upper. Not to be like mean. the son of God feels like a big responsibility. Like the son of like you, no, they're not going to choose you, right? They choose my womb. They're not going to choose. <laughs> they're not going to choose a lesbian heathen to carry. You know this important person. They're just not. They could. You don't know. I've been earning good karma for the past twenty years. Okay, so that's the problem. You're using the wrong rhetoric here. Okay, we're going to rebrand. We'll come back. Why you'll I, be ready? Why am I now like advocating? Like I want the right. divine to pick choose me, me. seminate me. <laughs> disseminate me <laughs> have you seen um saved Mm-mm. oh it's a really good one we should definitely do it for cult but it's it's about a girl who's in like catholic high school and she gets pregnant because she's trying to like she sees a vision that she should sleep with her high school boyfriend because he's just come out of the closet and to try to like help him sure sure it's it's such a good movie macaulay culkin's in it highly recommend it so is mandy moore not two I ever thought I would see in a movie together. Oh, yeah. But it sounds just intriguing enough to be it's really, really weird. It's good. We should watch it. I don't remember exactly what my point was, 
but that's a thing. That's a movie. I don't remember what your point was either, but it's been a long day. And we both have ADD, so. Oh, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, It's interesting because the poll from this past week about gerbil day, like warm gerbil day versus Uh armadillo day. Right. Most people seem to be having an armadillo day. And I wonder if that's because, you know, it's getting darker. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know. Also, shit just generally sucks sometimes. And that's okay. For sure. Like, life gets hard around the holidays. People have big feelings. The big feel. Um, the big sad comes around for a lot of people mm-hmm. with seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. or other, mm-hmm. you know, mental health stuff going That's on. That's what I was thinking, too. It just feels different when the time change. Yeah. With the time changes, you know. I love the first day of the time change. Because mm-hmm. like, you get that extra hour. And you know how much I love sleep. Amen. I mean, I am not a morning person. That yeah. extra hour for the first Ooh. day or two is really incredible. Mm-hmm. After that, I'm just kind of sad. See, <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> Every day after that is just the worst. Um, I was really tired because we had our boosters. Oh, yeah. And, like, I literally was like, I could lay down at my desk and take a nap. It was terrible. I never felt tired, but my arm was sore mm-hmm. as though I had a deep bruise for about Somebody three days. punched you. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, could not lay on my arm, and oh, I'm really? a side sleeper. Oh, you're so sensitive. I was very delicate. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I treated myself to some beer and that helped. Good. Yeah. That always helps. It tends to, yeah. I think it's the alcohol just dilutes everything else. That's right. That might have been too loud. Cheers. Charles. (laughs) All right. So we also wanted to pick a card for... um, For the pod. For our audience For you all. Let me... I can't reach it. Let me... Okay. Uh, All right. I'm going to... Shuffle here. One second. Okay. All right. So I have the Seven of Pentacles. And that is the the minor arcana of which I am not. Oh, the minor. The minor. Which I just talk shit about. Yeah. Um, But I think I am going to have to like look this one up in the little book. So bear with me for a second because I don't remember all the minor. Okay. So the Seven of Pentacles asks what you think about the long term when investing your time and energy. Although quick short-term gains may be had, in the end they will not last. Only through hard work and planning will you discover lasting benefits from your work. I think that means listen to the podcast. Like, (laughs) go back through, stick it out with us for the long run. There we go. Let's make it about us. There will be lasting benefits Yeah, well, it just seems like sticking with something. Like, don't give up, keep going. Yeah. It says, the crow rests after embarking on a difficult task of gathering a treasure trove of bright reflective coins that will adorn her necklace and make a protective space for her fledglings. This asks that you think about the long term. So, Mm -hmm. whatever you are doing, Armadillo Day or Warm Gerbil Day, Mm -hmm. think about the future. Unless that brings you anxiety, in which case stay very present. Uh. But definitely don't do the short term. No. It's definitely what I got from that. Instant gratification, even though we've <laughs> grown accustomed to it, mm-hmm. should not be the art, like our motivation for anything. Yeah. We got to think about others and also how we will feel. Right. 10 minutes, 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let us jumpeth intoeth 
some psychology and history. I'm going to leave all the accents to you um, for the what? benefit of all of our Wait, listeners. No, no, just do one. I only have one accent, what but I do it? well. Do it. It is an old Southern grandma. Okay. Say, um, the school bell rang and I had to go home. My dear, the, the school bell just rang. You got to go home now. Oh. Yep. You are a Southern woman. It's mid, the mid-Atlantic, Southern Georgia accent. Only one I can do. Only one. I don't know why. Well, that's good for you. Yeah, thanks. I enjoy. I mean, that. you've got about 500 accents, so I'm just trying to keep up with my one. Well, I have like 500 personalities. <laughs> just comes on out. All right. So, my topic for the day. What do these things have in common? Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Electrostimulation. Mm-hmm. Humiliation. Uh. Pantyhose. Breeding. Breeding. Tentacles and feet. Porn? Fetishes? Fetishes. <gasps> yes! <laughs> my pantyhose, I was like BDSM or talking about BDSM. <laughs> Fetishes. Fetishes. Okay. Yes. I knew the feet would give it away. Oh, if yeah. Any of them. Um, but they're all fetishes. In fact, um, they're some of like the most common fetishes, which was surprising because tentacles. I don't think I've ever seen tentacle porn. Oh, my God. It's everywhere. Is it? Yes. It's definitely not in my searches. Oh, okay. I might have to change that at some point. Nope. Nope. I don't need to change it. You sure don't. Cool. Excellent. (laughs) Okay. So this topic actually came up in my episode a little bit last week. Oh. I'm not. It's okay. I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast, to be honest. It's okay. So there's a fetish called spectrofolia which is a sexual attraction relationship or encounter with ghosts oh oh yeah and the desire to have hot hot sex with them at night Mm. yep this one made no sense to me until i heard that also includes succubuses Mm, succubi mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't know the root of the word succubus so i cannot tell you which is the grammatically correct multiple right single one uh plural noun or whatever no plural you know um, but it's the female version of an incubus mm-hmm. or a spiritual like being that sucks the chi out of your body or sucks mm-hmm. like the soul out of your body. Also a band from the nineties. Correct. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show lost girl, but it mm-hmm. stars a bisexual polyamorous, um, succubus. Mm-hmm. Her name is Bo and she is absolutely my type. Yeah, that sounds very much your type. Also, yeah. I, lo- I love how they give, like, queer women, like, these, like, gender-neutral names. It's like, this oh, is yeah. Bo. Bo. And they're going to, like, fuck up your world. <laughs> they're going to rock that shit yeah. is what they're going to do. Yeah. So if that is a fetish or a kink, count me in. Um, but we're going to do a deeper dive. So the word fetish mm-hmm. comes from the Latin root fetishus which means artificial, and fasir. I'm probably butchering these pronunciations Whatever. because I did not take Latin, which means to make. Um, initially, the word was described um, as a belief in a, that an object has supernatural powers or power over others. So it was attributed to the inherent value 
or powers of an object, mm-hmm. which sort of kind of makes sense. Like you can begin to see where the roots are with this. Yes, I did attend the seventh grade, so I'm an expert at roots, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you can just lead us through the rest of yeah. this of yeah. how this now becomes sexual fetishes. Great. Or I can do that. If so sexual fetishism comes from um, Alfred Binet who is a French psychologist who wrote a paper called Le Fetichisme dans l'amour, which describes sexual fetishism in 1887. We're going to have to do a special episode on Dr. Binet because he later also invented the first practical IQ test, and that's been on my list of things to cover for a oh, minute. Yeah. But interesting Busy man. dude. Yeah, we'll come back to him later. Currently, fetishes are classified under paraphilias, which are abnormal sexual behaviors or impulses characterized by intense sexual fantasies and urges that keep coming back. These urges could involve any number of things, but may include unusual objects, activities, or situations that are not normally considered sexually arousing by others. Mm -hmm. So... That's what a fetish is, in case you were wondering. I got it. So, yeah. So, anybody that's outside of the box that somebody drew one time. Mm -hmm. Precisely. And there's actually a word for it. Um, Let me see if I can find it really quick, because I love this phrasing, Mm -hmm. and I think I'm going to start using it more. It was... Do-do-do... Alternative erotic lifestyles. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. So they're now no longer just fetishes. It's alternative erotic lifestyle. So, and this is my ignorance, but is it is it like something that is like inserted into all aspects of your life? No pun intended? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it just like during sexy time? Um, So fetishes as a whole are... Fetishes because they're sexually arousing. Uh-huh. So theoretically, if it's impacting more than just your sex life, then it could become a problem. Oh, okay. But if but it if, is... But, but there are like BDSM lifestyles, like sub stuff. Right, right. Is, but I don't know but if that's, that's considered a fetish. It's different than a fetish. Okay. So a fetish is typically thought of as an object or a non-sexual body part. Like, most commonly, those are the two big fetishes, like feet fetishes, hand fetishes. Balloons. Right. Like, things you can Google, porn you can Google, and come up with options. A BDSM lifestyle, like a dom-submissive role, Mm -hmm. is not really a thing that you can... Like, you can Google and find porn with doms and subs, but it's more to it than that. Okay. You can find porn for anything. That is very true. Unfortunately. Yeah. I haven't done much digging because I'm not that adventurous sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially with porn. I can usually just come up with more creative things. To do with your time? Yep. (laughs) Not exactly what I meant, but I know that my mother (laughs) listens to this episode or listens to the podcast. So there is that. Um, Hi, Cindy. Hey, mom. So fetishism is when people have sexual urges with non-living objects, which can be clothing, parts of the body, um, 
there are other things that are associated with paraphilias like exhibitionism and voyeurism. So um, watching people have sex or having like exhibitionism is essentially flashing or like having sex in public spaces. Um, Fodderism is this gross thing where people like touch or rub their body parts against other people. (gasps) Consenting other people? Not typically. No! And then there's some other really gross, unconsenting things that we are not going into because that is not the topic of today. No, like, it is not. It is not. And it will never be. Um, never so it's important to note that fetishism is not considered a disorder unless it causes personal distress and functional disruption to your everyday life. Um, Sigmund Freud, our mm. dear, dear friend. Good, good friend. Patreon, I think. <laughs> He's definitely seen the pasta recipe. Or at least he should. He should get a free copy by this point with as much as we talk about him. This is basically Hippocrates, Freud, and Hamilton podcast. Yeah, right. Sigmund Freud um, said that sexual fantasies in men are the result of childhood trauma, which is a common theory. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, he specifically said that they're a result of castration anxiety. Again with the castration anxiety. I think Sigmund Freud may have had some castration anxiety. I think, Yeah. Yeah. So get this shit. Quote, according to this theory, a boy curious to see his mother's penis averts his eyes in horror when he discovers that his mother has no penis. The inanimate object on which the boy focuses when he averts his eyes becomes the fetishized object. Oh my god. (laughs) What? So like, whatever you have in your house... When you first don't see your mom's penis Mm -hmm. is what you fucking... I wonder what Freud would say about children whose mothers do have penises. That's a good point. He would... Well, that would be just too much out of his... uh, For his narrow little mind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Wow. So I'm just thinking about, like, what you have in your house. Like, a Kool-Aid. Like, a little jar of Kool-Aid. Like, go with me here. Because assuming that the only time you might ever see your mother naked as a child is if you walk in and she's showering. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. In the bathroom, in the bedroom, some so type then, of what private. are you likely to see? Towels? Like uh-huh. soap. Soap. <laughs> <laughs> the bedspread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like balloons and f- I mean, but maybe right. he's thinking, okay, so the so we know feet is like a big yeah. fetish. Yeah. Maybe you look down and you see at feet. your own feet. Right, right. And shame. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. it doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't track. Um, so naturally within this framework, men are capable of having sexual fetishes while women are incapable because women never look to see if their mother has a penis. (laughs) Got it. Oh, thanks, Sigmund Freud. (laughs) Damn, you're so smart. Yeah. Yeah. He's really killing it with these theories. I have nothing bad to say. No notes. Nothing. No notes. Modern theories of why fetishes develop vary a little. One article published in 2003 at an experimental biology conference in California talks about a study done by Dr. L.M. Coolen. L.M. Cool J. L.L. Cool J. In which male rats who are accustomed to having sex in a particular cage will have elevations of, quote, pleasure-inducing chemicals in the brain simply from being in that cage if even if a female or female scent are not present. This suggests that sexual conditioning has occurred, 
So the hypothesis is that human sexuality can be tied to social conditioning, kind of like Pavlov's Pavlov's dog. Uh huh. The salivating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why was Pavlov's hair so soft? All the extra conditioner. He conditioned it. <laughs> Did you like that? That's meme? really good. <laughs> um. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, several experiments were done where men were conditioned to show arousal to stimuli like boots, geometric shapes, and penny jars by pairing these cues with conventional erotica. Penny jars? Penny jars like is what Like shake, it said. shake, shake? Yep. Shake your booty naturally makes sense to me at that point. Sure. Um, I just, which could be sexually arousing to some people. Oh, for like 90% of the yeah. male. Or female. Or non-binary. Who doesn't like a good booty? I don't know. Yeah. It's my question. Yeah. Don't talk to me. Um, however, John Bancroft says, quote, conditioning alone cannot explain fetishism because it does not result in fetishism for most people. So apparently at some point in time, a lot of this was proven false because even people who are not socially conditioned still have fetishes. And people who are conditioned don't always develop long-term fetishes or fetishes at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not super thrilled on, or super sold on this theory either. Another theory is of sexual imprinting. I told you we get back to the imprinting. Oh, uh, my! Go I have ahead. so many thoughts. Okay, if we're, tell ta- me. if we're talking Twilight imprinting, I literally have in my notes hold for Twilight Jacob joke. Stop! Stop predicting my humor okay it's not a joke it's an issue why is he imprinting on a baby a literal fetus a literal actual fetus and baby baby yeah it makes no sense also if you need a good laugh please youtube on the googles bad lip reading twilight you're welcome (laughs) i feel like i've seen a few tiktoks with bad lip reading of twilight and they never disappoint. Yeah. Yeah. Also, great question about a werewolf imp- and baby imprinting on a vampire baby. But this theory um, proposes that humans learn to recognize sexually desirable features and activities during childhood, and then it just continues on from there. This could happen at the earliest experiences with arousal and desire, which we will actually come back to. So hold that thought for just a second about imprinting. Hold applause. Always. Unless you're Gaga. In which case, applause, applause. <laughs> in, in case you can't. <laughs> um, a third theory is that diverse sexual interests are evolution's way of helping humans maximize the sheer amount of sex that goes on. Totally get behind this theory. Um, this can also explain why sometimes sexual preferences change over time. Gregory Lean, a psychologist at Johns Hopkins, who studies human sexuality and gender identity says, quote, we're programmed to need diversity. A desire for complementary desire makes us sure that we will mix our genes up as much as possible. Hmm. So, quote, imagine if every person was turned on by the same thing. If every woman was turned on by George Clooney, the diversity of the human species requires that we be turned on by a whole variety of things. Oh, that's so true. Isn't that cool? I love that I love, love that it. Yeah. yeah. Attraction is absolutely subjective. It is. And attraction within kink and fetish communities, 
like you're going to be drawn to other people with similar fetishes. Like it just mixes everything up a little bit more. You might find people that you wouldn't normally. Yeah. Um, so from an evolutionary perspective, it kind of makes sense. And we're no longer at a point where the purpose of pleasure is reproduction. Uh-huh. Thank so, God. Right. So like the brain understands that we don't need to reproduce constantly. So mm-hmm. therefore, fetishes don't have to be... Right. With connect- that in mind. Right. Exactly. We're so smart. I know. How'd our brains get I to be so smart? I love our bodies. Um, Dr. Jessica O'Reilly says, quote, sexual fantasy is highly varied across the spectrum. So fetishes might simply be one element of our diversity in terms of sexual interest and arousal. Dr. O'Reilly also postulates that some people are more easily aroused than others, and there's a theory that these people may be more open to developing fetishes because they're sexually excited more easily, which just checks out for me. Yep. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um, Fetishism has been part of the DSM since... 1980. It was first introduced in the DSM-3. Of course it was. Of course 1980, of fucking course it was. Yep. In 1987, the DSM-3R, or the revised version, introduced the idea of partialism, which is arousal by body part. Like Mm -hmm. feet and hands and navels, Mm -hmm. respectively. Love a good navel. And they used it as like two separate diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So it is now no longer okay to be sexually attracted to body parts or anything else. So objects or body parts. Correct. So the the revised version included the non-genital correct, reproductive non- organs or yeah, non-sexual yeah. reproductive. But why why are breasts sexual? Because someone decided that they were. Yeah, that makes no sense. They're I mean, also I get really it. Listen, I yeah. get it, but like, I don't know why. <laughs> the DSM 4 retained this distinction. However, the DSM 5 merged the two because of the overlap between the conditions. So the DSM 5 version is almost never diagnosed. And we're going to talk about statistics at the end of this because I knew you'd be curious. Um, but unless it actively inf- interferes with parts of your life, you don't need a diagnosis because there's nothing actually wrong with having sex. Sex. I don't understand. I mean, I guess I guess things always could go south, no pun intended, but how <laughs> how would it ruin your life? It's just sexy time. So there are some issues like if you are more um, sexually aroused by this thing than you are other people, then you can push connections away and just be like hyper focused or hyper fixated. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you're using it, I assume to masturbate more than you normally would. Is that bad? It, I mean, if it interferes with your work schedule, potentially. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, those are two examples of how it could interfere with your life, but we'll get to that in a second too. Okay. Let's talk about a study because I love a good study. Um, an article in 2018 entitled Fetishism in ADHD, an Impulsive Behavior or a Paraphilic Disorder, says, quote, Fetishism is a variant of paraphilia, but it may become a paraphilic disorder depending on its extent. There are limited research on paraphilias or paraphilic disorders in children or adolescents compared to adults. Nevertheless, it has been shown that many individuals with paraphilic disorders actually had underlying ADHD and other comorbid psychiatric conditions contrary wise adhd 
may itself manifest at ri- as risk-taking and impulsive behaviors, predisposing the subjects to paraphilic acts. So remember, paraphilia includes a whole bunch of stuff that's not just fetishes, like it, exhibitionism and mm-hmm. voyeurism and mm-hmm. all the isms, all the some super duper inappropriate stuff that we're not talking about this yeah. episode. But I think what makes this interesting and makes so much sense to me is that fetishes are often a multi-sensory experience. Mm-hmm. Like there's a texture or a smell or something in addition to like a the stimulation. Right. So people who process a lot of sensory information or who need more sensory input um, may be more attuned if they're receiving all this input. So I'm kind of speculating here, but it's my hypothesis that fetishes are special interests for some maybe neurodivergent people because they help keep people's attention longer if you're having sex. Because otherwise, ADHD and sex can sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, be derailed. Sure. Because ADHD likes to jump around all over the place and doesn't always know how to focus on the thing right in front of you. Mm-hmm. So having a fetish or kink of some description may help you be more connected. I'm speculating wildly. So while we may understand the benefits of variety and desire in our species, what we don't particularly understand is why specific fetishes develop or what causes people to have um, sexual fetishes or develop an interest in BDSM. Fetishes and alternative erotic lifestyles come in a wide variety of forms some of them are soups common, like feet, and others are a little bit more extreme and unique, like tentacle porn. The first rule of fetish, of fetish club is that we don't yuck anyone else's yum. Yep. And as long as all people involved are aware and consenting, you do you, boo. So those are the first two rules. Yeah, a fight club. Got it. Yep. Dr. Richard Kruger, an associate professor of psychiatry at Columbia University, says that some people who develop fetishes or alternative erotic lifestyles may be mentally ill or have experienced trauma, but that is not a predictor. Uh. I know, we hate it. We can speculate about how individuals acquire a particular kink is not designed or determined by evolution, but that it happens possibly arbitrarily or through an early childhood experience. I think it's nurture, not nature. I would... Be inclined to agree with you. Yeah, not necessarily the shower situation, but like something else. (laughs) Um, Some people with especially with especially strong connections to their fetish can tell a quote Genesis story about the exact time and place where they developed an interest or first noticed an arousal um, that takes place. Yeah, but we can all pinpoint a first memory for feeling all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, I mean, most of us can't remember the first time we were turned on by somebody. Not but, turned on specifically, you're right. I mean, and I'm just thinking about, like, coming out stories when you're like, oh, yeah. this is the first girl I ever loved, and it was in kindergarten or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's very similar. It's just a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that to lump it in with mental health is problematic. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but it is still in our DSM. So I think that there, because of that, we do have to have that conversation. Yeah. And that's where most of the research has been done because people want to understand why this develops and we don't really know. 
But my my concern is that people want to learn about it so that they can prevent it from happening. And yeah. like literally, like by card, it says, do what feels right in your heart. That's what I say. Yeah. Just like whatever you want to do, just fucking do it. I think for me, it's a fascination about how the brain works. Yeah. Like, I don't want to stop people. I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. So long as everyone's consenting, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am fascinated by why some people develop fetishes to some things and not others. And um, I was reading an article about um, adult diaper wearers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, like, what that experience was like and that's mm-hmm. really fascinating so i think i'm going to have to do a deeper dive into it because there were multiple articles and it was way too much yeah to lump in with the overview of fetishes right so we'll come back to that one yeah because it's also a sensory thing like it's not just a sex thing right and that's true for bdsm as well is it's not just a sex thing though it can often cause arousal well and i think the another thing to think about too is the amount of information we have on these topics is only through people who are willing to share. Right. And there's so much shame around sex and bodies and all of that stuff. So I feel like there's so much more to an education too. like, Oh my God, like people who are uneducated about how our, our own bodies work and whoever's fault that is, that's a whole other conversation. But, um, yeah, like what a drop in the bucket. It's like there's 80% of the ocean or 90% of the ocean we haven't discovered. I would argue it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, that reminds me, I haven't seen Fifty Shades of Grey or read the book. Um, what? But what? I was reading one article that said that because like sadomasochism was such a central part of the book, um, that it became something that people could talk about more openly. Mm-hmm. And that, in some ways, like, made it easier for people to connect who were outside of, like, the typical yeah. vanilla sex I mean, it life. Made it, it made it mainstream. And which, fashionable in some ways. Yeah, and so accessible. But there, it's also problematic. Yeah. And we'll talk well, yeah. like, later. Consent sure. is still mandatory yeah, and at all control times. and right. being creepy. Yeah. But having the ability to talk about those things openly oh, seems yeah. to have somewhat of a positive impact since 50 shades came out so that's cool yeah um so dr kruger agrees that quote generally speaking a typical case maybe somebody happens upon an object by accident or through exposure to something like leather dolls or part of a human that's non-sexual such as a foot or toe and finds it pleasurable so they continue using it in that sexual way Eh, it seems to check out. There's also a theory that specifically for feet fetishes, they're processed, um, the region of the brain that processes sensory input from the feet is immediately next to the region that processes genital stimulation. So that might be a thing. Okay, so I have some data for you. Some of this is very old. The first set of data is from 1983. Mm, The second set is from 2007. So a little bit more recent. Still old. So, in a review of 48 cases of clinical fetishism, which means that they have actively been diagnosed, this is in 1983, so this is the DSM-3, um, 58.3% of people had clothing fetishes. Interesting. 22.9% had rubber fetishes. 
44.6% were interested in footwear. 14.6% were interested in body parts other than genitalia. 10.4% were leather. And 6.3% were soft materials or fabrics. Was the rubber latex? Probably. Probably. Or balloons. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So let me ask you this. What's the likelihood about these people who are having fetishes for these materials that are likely in like 2021 days would be maybe diagnosed as somebody who was wanting to like wear them? Like leather? Wait, what? I don't know. We can take this out. I'm just thinking like, is it like, is it likely that somebody is like are trans people being misrepresented or like people who are wanting to like wear them it's hard to say yeah i didn't read the full study yeah i was just thinking out loud we can yeah yeah yeah. no i think we should leave it i think it's a valid question yeah i just uh don't know the answer to it yeah yeah me neither um in 2007 Another study surveyed members of an internet discussion group. So this is obviously super reliable data mm-hmm. and very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but they surveyed people who are part of groups that were fetish groups about body parts or body features. Um, 47% of people that were surveyed were participating in groups about feet. 9% about bodily fluids. 9% about body size. about hair and 5% about muscles. Oh, so at what point I'm just going to interrupt your whole segment. I knew that you would be super hooked in this episode. So, so how much of somebody like a specific attraction, like a type would be considered a fetish? Because if you're, if you're interested in muscular people with big feet or just in general, is that a fetish or is it only considered a fetish when it's like quote undesirable? Like when it's a larger person. That's also a great question. My assumption is that they are considering people who are not conventionally shaped or attractive. That sucks. It super sucks. But knowing in 2007 that this is when the research was being done. Yeah. um, Without knowing much about the internet discussion groups. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just kind of an interesting statistic. Yeah. But you're right. It sucks. And it's probably not like they would never have looked at somebody with, you know, typical muscles who was just part of a bodybuilding group and said, oh, that's a fetish. Mm -hmm. Um, So I assume that they are uh, surveying people who self-identify as having this fetish. Right. How do you self-identify and figure that out? It's up to you. In the same study, they also looked at fetish groups about clothing and found that 33% belong to groups about clothes worn on the butt or legs, like pants, tights, underwear. 32% were about footwear. Um, Oh, I take that back. The first group did not include underwear. 12% were about underwear. And 9% were about the whole body and clothing. It's all of it. And in 2014, a study found that 26.3% of women and 27.8% of men acknowledged fantasies about, quote, having sex with a fetish or non-sexual object. So in the general population of people that they surveyed, (laughs) um, it was actually pretty even, men and women, even though men are more commonly, like, thought to have fetishes. 
I think it's because we don't. Interesting. We tend to hypersexualize men and then assume that women just don't have sex because they have to wait to be married. Sure. But like men get the pat on the back when they have sex. So it's more comfortable for society when men have fetishes than when women have fetishes. Um, However, fetishism to the extent that it becomes a disorder is rare and it's less than 1% of general psychiatric patients. Mm -hmm. So teeny tiny little percent. That's not 1% of the population. That's like less Mm -hmm. than 1% of people seeking psychiatric support. Anybody living space. Yeah. Infinite cosmic power. (laughs) Um, Treatment. So honestly, it's pretty common to, on some level, um, have a fetish. Like most people, I would say, a lot of people, I would say, have some level of interest in something that other people would consider a fetish. Um, You should only really be concerned if it impairs your normal functioning or causes you distress. Some treatment goals could be a reduction in reliance on the fetish or sexual for sexual satisfaction, um, improving your relationship skills, or reducing or removing arousal to the fetish altogether. I'm assuming it, that's if it's an unsafe fetish. Mm-hmm. Um, or increasing arousal to more acceptable stimuli. This is probably going to be done through cognitive behavioral therapy, also called CBT, but may include other therapeutic practices. Um, and there are also drugs that can be prescribed to lower sex drive. So those are your treatment options should it interfere with your life. However, it's very, very rare. And most of the time, it's just fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's it a is. a lot of fun to talk about. I'm having about. a great time. <laughs> I know. Me too. And there are so many more things that we need to be talking about with fetishes that I would love to have a conversation fair at some point. Love it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like... There's just such a stigma against women enjoying sex or, like, being sexually active yeah. um, and seeking out interesting sexual or, kink- or uh, fetish or kinky experiences that it's hard for women to talk about it. Yeah. Like, there are specific websites like FetLife that are good for finding people in that community, but it's just not accepted. And mm-hmm. Sponsored by FetLife. Yeah. Um, if I you wish. can work on that sponsorship, <laughs> yeah, right, let fine. me know. Um, yeah, I think there's such a, I think the way that we consume sexual media is so problematic in general. Yeah. Like the representation is so skewed and the content out there is literally not meant for us. Right. You know, and it's not my, meant for like queer people and trans people and, and it's all the people other than the op- people. Yeah. It's often meant for the straight cis male gays. which is the way that so many of us were socialized to behave as if, you know, we're seeking the male gaze at all times. Mm -hmm. So not the male gaze, the male gaze. G-A-Z-E, not Mm -hmm. G-A-Y-S. Correct. (laughs) Straight cis male gaze. (laughs) I gaze at you with my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Okay, yeah. What a big topic, though. Well done. You're so welcome. That was a good little Easter egg for a Friday night. (laughs) I knew that you would enjoy it. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will come back, and we are talking about the Guinness Book of World Records. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we even begin? (laughs) No. We'll be right back. All right.
And we're back. All right. So let's take it back. Let's take it on back. How far back are we going? We are going back to November 10th, 1951. The director of Guinness Breweries. Are you in Ireland? Well, yeah. Like Guinness, the Guinness. Like Guinness, like the beer. Yeah. You know, I never made the connection between Guinness and the Guinness Book of World Records. I didn't either. I was just until having like that an moment. adult. Oh, I was literally just having that moment. Oh yeah, welcome. Thank you. The beer. The this beer. This is the Got beer it. book of world records. Um, I did not realize that Bush Gardens was after the beer as well. Oh, I thought it was about the pubic style. <laughs> i'm sorry that's the fetish uh-huh. <laughs> link up there <laughs> so the director of guinness breweries was hugh beaver link up there how many sex link ups will there be in this episode so the he limit was, does not exist get this okay so he was hunting with a group of his buddies like you do and they go into like this argument about like what kind of bird is faster is it the golden plover? Is it the red grouse? Who's to say? And he realizes in that moment that it's impossible for them to figure this information out. Is it though? I feel like there are ways to figure this out. This is 1951. Okay. So at that point, <laughs> there's no way for them to know. So he realizes it was impossible to figure it out because no reference book housed such information at the time. Well, we've got to fix that problem. We've got to fix it. So he knew that many other groups of people were arguing about similar things across the world when they were on their hunting trips with their hunting buddies. Surely, if I were to have ever gone on a single hunting trip, that would have been my first question. For sure. Yeah. So he thought that he could create a resource to end all of these disputes. Just a man of the community. Giving back to the people. Giving the people what they want. Exactly. A humanitarian. (laughs) Right. No ill intentions at all. So the idea began to become a reality when another person or another employee of the Guinness Brewery, his name was Charles Chataway, uh, he recommended some of his friends named Norris and and Ross Geller. (laughs) Uh McWriter who were twins, and they were running a fact-finding agency in London, which was a thing. I want that job. I know. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. So they were twins, like I said, and they were tasked with finding the first round of information for the very first Guinness Book of Records in 1954. So essentially think about it like resources weren't available people didn't you can't google the tallest man in the world you can't or just even like yeah like who who would win a gorilla or a bear or whatever people like you know talk about when they're drunk at 2 a.m or whatever or on hunting trips with their buddies or whatever we like i cannot relate to that at all no it's not for us We were not the prime target at no, this moment. we were not the demographic five sure. <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, so, but the, their goal was to go out and find all of these facts. And at first it was like a, like a resource book, you know? So the Guinness Book of Records. Sure. Who would win in a fight kind of thing. So that was 1954. And the first round of publications consisted of only a thousand copies 
Um, and they were not sold, but instead they were just given away. You know those things are worth a If you have a copy, now. fucking call me. If your great-grand... No. If my, you're... If your grandparents. You're right. Or if our parents. Or our parents, because <laughs> our parents were older. Um, your parents or grandparents, go check their attics, because you know they kept all this shit. Oh, my God. How cool would that be? That would be so cool. I love history. It's a good thing we have a history podcast. I know. In psychology or whatever. so so they founded the guinness book of records office at 107 fleet street in london and i googled it and it appears to be available if anybody is interested in renting a space Uh, it looks so cute hey dylan (laughs) yeah right will you please go rent this just so that we can visit So they published their first real edition uh, that was 198 pages on August 27th, 1955. And it was immediately a success. Of course it was. Of course it was. They did not have the internet. It went to the top of the British bestseller list. And the next year, they did expand on on the reach to include the U.S. And the U.S. exclusively sold 70,000 copies. If you have one of those copies, feel free to reach Any out to us as well. Any copy you have, other than the ones that were like in my elementary school library, I've got two or three of those. Do you remember like go? Like, I remember like going to the book fair and I, being like, "I only want to see pictures." I blame the book fair for my addiction to book buying, retail, yeah, purchasing. That rush you felt, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you felt so special when you had like ten dollars in your pocket and you could buy like a book in a poster or a really cool eraser an eraser that was shaped like a crayon that's what i was thinking oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <sighs> i feel like do i bought one do that was shaped like a unicorn head <gasps> that was very cool that's a good find thank you i feel like that would be a very good like people in 2021 book fairs there's definitely a unicorn head there oh five sure in 1995 in delaware they did not have a unicorn eraser. A uni- it was like a crayon. But or- did you buy the puppy poster is really what it boils down to. There we were did, two types of people, those mm-hmm. who bought the puppy poster and those who did not oh, buy the puppy see, poster. Oh, see, no, I don't remember. I was more of like the experimental type, you know, call it a fetish or whatever. Sure. I don't know if that's insensitive, but we, like the what, like I was interested in the experimental stuff. Yeah. The like spy you- stuff. Spike it stuff. The spike it stuff was the best. Or stuff. like grow your own rock. Hello. Yeah. Who doesn't want to grow their own rock? I do. Okay. So also tangent, but <laughs> I have this story in my family that my aunt would buy us the most ridiculous like shit when we were kids because she didn't have kids yet. So she would buy us like a butterfly growing kit Aww. and like a turtle and stuff and my mom was like what the fuck are you buying my children that's actually really sweet though i know but it's stuff that like you know your aunt buys you and that they (laughs) don't have to like follow through with which is i feel like things that you might have been able to purchase at a 1990s book fair elementary book fair exactly Those were really the good old days. I know. Like, take me back to elementary school book fairs. Let's go back. Let's live in that time. Um, As a former teacher, I can tell you that they do still have book fairs. Do they? Yeah. Okay. So they soon got into a pattern where they were publishing the book once a year, which is kind of how we know it today. 
So usually in the month of September or October, which is like getting like gearing up for Christmas, so it's kind of brilliant, they would release these new Guinness Book of World Records books. Mm -hmm. Um, So the twins continued to create the book every year, and they both had a photographic memory, which is why they were able to like... Jealous. Right? That's why they were so good at what they did. So they could recite facts from memory. And in fact, they appeared in a TV show called The Record Breakers, which they would take questions posted by children in the audience about various world records, and they could recite the answers back with no issue. Oh, I wish I had that kind of brain. Uh, that is, I'm so impressed by that. So during one of these shows, the twins offered a 50,000 quid reward for the capture of the Provisional Irish Republican Army, which is, it's interesting. They're like, it's a children's show, kind of. But also, they're like offering a reward for what is essentially, which is a terrorist organization. Huh. Um, which seeks to like push the British rule out of Ireland. Sure. It's a whole big thing. Different episode. Um, but the Irish Rep- Republican army responded by assassinating Ross, which was one of the twins. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fucking killed him. Oh. Not playing around. I mean, they did bring politics into a children's show, so. I don't know if it was a children's show. There were children. Like, like, kids say the darndest things. Is that a children's show? No. Are there children? Yes. So, I don't know. Okay. Who's okay. to say? Who's? It was a long time ago. We don't really know. We don't know. Um, but the content of the books were definitely evolving with the times and expanding. Um, so, it, it includes, obviously, like, it started including feats like Olympic weightlifting. But it also expanded to include things like longest egg toss or longest time spent playing Grand Theft Auto 4. Or the classic number of hot dogs a person could consume in a certain number of time. So it started with like, who would win? Who's the fastest bird? Okay, then it goes to like, who's the strongest person? Who's the tallest person? And then it just gets weird. The one that stands out to me in my copy of whatever year You own a copy? I do own a copy. Which one? I don't know. (laughs) That's not the question. (laughs) I bought it at a elementary school book fair uh-huh um but Cost more than ten dollars yeah so i am heading to the house where the book is tomorrow at some point so i will see if i can find it for you snap a photo if you if you see it for sure um but the one that stood out to me was the longest fingernails and the longest toenails mm-hmm. which i think were by the same person we um, will get to the fingernails just, kind of like mm-hmm. okay yep I learned so much that day. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of it was really very boring for me, though. At that age. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see all the gross pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So it also expanded to include medical marvels such as heaviest tumor removed. (gasps) Like that shit's included. That would be cool. Most poisonous fungus. Uh Longest running soap opera. Most valuable life insurance policy, which I feel like Steve would, like, (laughs) be into. Sure, sure. There's also a lot to do with, like, age. So there's, like, 
youngest person doing X and oldest person doing X. Like, yeah. that's a big thing, too. Yeah. And also, like, short and tall. It's, like, all those, like, words. Yeah. So the book ori- the book's original concept was much more of, like, text focus, but it began to evolve to be more picture focused with Norris McWriter once he retired. So the book began printing the highlights of the year's accomplishments. And as we entered a digital age, the rest of like the not featured events could be found online. So it was like print, then it went to picture, and then it's like more online now. Yeah. So one of the big questions is like, how do they know who actually achieved these records? So Guinness actually sends out a representative to like check it out. Usually a representative is sent all over the world for confirmation of whatever it is. So normally they have to like be present. Yeah. Or during COVID times, you have to have like video documentation. Right. So for example, if a representative is sent out to confirm the tallest man in the world, the representative would measure the person three times throughout the day because it changes sure so like they're getting the average and they're not going to waste their time going out to see somebody that they don't know is, is going to be able to accomplish it it's just like for liability purposes right, basically right. just to confirm so they don't accept all record attempts um for like ethical reasons for example they do not accept records relating to killing or harming animals which i appreciate i do too high five high five quote for example following publication of the heaviest fish record many fish owners overfed their pets beyond the bounds of what was healthy and therefore such entries were removed The Guinness Book also dropped records within their eating and drinking records section of human achievements in 1991 over concerns that potential competitors could harm themselves and expose the publisher to potential litigation. These changes included the removal of all spirit, wine, and beer drinking records, along with other unusual records of consuming such unlikely things as bicycles and trees. Uh, consuming bicycles? That's correct. Like, like the bi- like the, metal bicycles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah. I want to ride my yeah. That. Like the Wicked Witch of the West. That's correct. In the tornado. All of the Got above. It. Other records such as sword swallowing and rally driving, which I don't even know what that is, were closed from further entry as the current holders had performed beyond what are considered safe human tolerance levels. So that's good. They're like, yeah. what you did was great. We don't want anybody else even trying. Yeah. So there was even instances of closed categories being reopened. For example, the sword swallowing category was listed as closed in the 1990 Guinness Book of World Records, but has since been reopened with Johnny Strange breaking a sword swallowing record on Guinness World Records live. Similarly, the speed beer drinking records, which were dropped from the books, reappeared 17 years later in 2008 but were moved from the human achievement section of the older book to the modern society section of the newer book. 
As of 2011, it is required in the Guinness of all large food type records that the items be fully edible and described in the public for consumption to prevent food wastage, which makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, don't just do it to do it. Sure. As the request of the U.S. Mint in 1984, the book stopped accepting claims of largest hoarding of pennies or other currency. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I can't say that on air. Never mind. Environmentally, unfriendly records such as the releasing of sky lanterns and party balloons are no longer accepted or monitored. Birds everywhere, thank you. Right? The birds, birds aren't real. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in addition, records relating to tobacco or cannabis consumption. Oh, sorry. So in addition, like also that they stopped doing uh, records relating to tobacco or cannabis consumption or preparation. Mm-hmm. End quote. So a lot of things are evolving. They're going to go back and forth on it. I think as time goes on, like people are much more like, interested in the instant validation and the instant like gratification and like all of the weird stuff so we'll see how it kind of things go in the future for those categories for sure um so the guinness world records declined to list everything that was like too difficult or impossible um to accomplish (laughs) in my notes i say because People are ridiculous, and um, and a lot of times people, and I put in parentheses, men, will try to accomplish them just to prove that it can be done. <laughs> that checks out. So the next part of my notes, I wanted to look at the 2021 Guinness Book Ooh. of World Records and see what's happening there. I'm so glad you did. So um, when... My dad and our family were in Oshkosh over the summer. Mm -hmm. We made our way to the Oshkosh Museum. So Oshkosh is the big air show that we go to every year. The museum has all these super cool airplanes. Um, So we walk up to one of them and it's like taken apart. And it kind of is like the daddy long legs equivalent of an airplane. Like it's very spindly and Uh awkward. Steampunk. Yeah. And so I kind of look at... I look at my dad. I'm like, what's so special about this one? He said, well, I contributed $20 to the funding of this one. I said, well, that's significant. In the 80s, tell me more. This airplane with two passengers flew around the world nonstop in 11 days. What? They never had to refuel because of how awkwardly long the wings were. They had enough fuel to make it around the world in 11 days. What? They slept like one person slept the entire time. The other person was awake for almost the entire 11 day. Well, I'm sure if she wasn't asleep the whole time, but she was right. like laying down the entire uh-huh. time. The other person was flying the airplane for the full 11 days, almost nonstop. Like by the end, he was hallucinating. Yeah. They were like having to use the bathroom on themselves and like all of this crazy shit, but they made it into the Guinness book of world records for, um, the fastest trip around the world. I mean, yeah, you're by in a an small airplane, airplane for 11 days. Yep, I think it was called the Voyager or something like that. I'll have to look it up and send you pictures. But they did this huge fundraising campaign, and my dad donated $11, and he says he has the pen somewhere that they sent him. 20 It was 20 $20. What did I say? 11 
Uh, so my dad donated $20 and they sent him this little pin. So he's oh, got the little pin somewhere. That's sweet. Oh, yeah. I love that. That is very cool. Isn't that super cool? That is one of, and we'll get into like, we'll cross the bridge, like some of the very detailed like yeah. technology ones. I think those are especially cool. We're covering so many things. Let's get started. Okay. So this is 2021. Okay. Okay. The year that we are living. Right. The so year normally of our it's like a year behind, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's for the previous year. Right. So really it's just for 2020. So everybody should deserve a break because hashtag 2020. Okay. So Jyoti Amji from India, who was also in American Horror Story, is the shortest ro- woman in 2021. Oh, she was, was she in the freak show? Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember seeing her. Yes. So she was two feet points, two feet seven inches or sixty two point eight centimeters. Oh, yep. Um, some Mingjing and Su Yang from China were the tallest married couple in twenty twenty one. Their combined height was thirteen feet. What ten inches or four hundred and twenty three point four seven centimeters? That's impressive. They're tall. They're very tall. They're going to have tall babies. Yes, they will. Yeah. Um, Ekaterina Lesina from Russia is the tallest professional model who is six feet, nine inches or 205.16 centimeters. What is specific category? Oh, it gets model. like really specific. Huh. I wonder who picks these categories or they someone like is just like, I bet I am the tallest model. So I should submit this. What's interesting is that you can go in and request a category category to be featured. So there are so many different categories and like not all categories are going to be accepted. But if you go onto the website, you can like submit a category. Gotcha. Which is cool. So if you like know you're going to win, if you're like, I know that I can stick 150 marshmallows in my mouth. And then say, uh, what's the something bunny? Chubby bunny. Chubby bunny. Chubby bunny. Chubby bunny. I have not thought about chubby bunny in a minute. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. I love a chubby bunny. Okay, so Archie Norbury, who's from the UK, is the youngest club DJ. How old do you think Archie is? Seven. Mmm. Four. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Child labor laws. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but he's four. I mean, let's go back and watch Newsies. I'm sure that they've been breaking some child labor laws oh for a minute. Oh, my goodness. So, Hakako Mori from Japan is the oldest video game YouTuber. Yes, girl. How old do you think she is? I'm going to go with um, 87. Oh, close. 89. Oh, okay. Yes, 89. Shristi Sharman from India is the lowest limbo skating. So, like, do you know when you go, like, you basically do a split. Uh Uh-huh. And you, like, put your face, you, like. Yeah, yeah, but you can't touch. You can't touch, and you go under the pegs. So she was the longest limbo, lowest limbo skating over 25, I put 25 M, 6.7 inches. 
Millimeters? Millimeters? 25 millimeters? I don't know how big 25 millimeters is. It was a long time. That's unclear. Oh, are we... Wait, are we talking about distance or are we talking about the height of the thing? We're talking about... Oh. Oh. Because one end would be meters. I watched a whole video of of her doing it and it was basically like half a football field where she like... Oh, damn. Went down. And the... Yeah, it looked like it was like six inches. So it says, I put in my notes, over 25 M, 6.7 inches, 17 centimeters. Okay, so... Oh, I would say 25 meters meters was 6.7 inches. Sorry, I thought you were talking about height. Sounds like, well, 1 M doesn't mean much for height. No. But, I mean, it does, but not when you talk about short height. That's what happens when you do your notes, like, ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? So, Bilgi Singaria from Turkey is the longest underwater walk with one breath. And she walked 267 feet, 8 inches. That sounds like a lie. I'm going to say that that's impossible. On video. She had a weight in her hand. She was like walking along the pool. You know what that reminds me of? What? Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, Yeah. Walking with the... (laughs) Uh That's her. Yep. I'm guessing she had no boat because otherwise anyone could do that. No I mean, Captain, if Captain Jack Sparrow can do it, it does not belong in the Book of World Records. <laughs> That's a good point. Fake news. So Aaron Bonk from the USA does a very unique uh, thing. So he his category is the most pre-whip crack juggling catches in one minute. And what that means is that things are on fire. Uh-huh. And he is cracking a whip a certain number of times in one minute. And it was 82. Damn. Okay. 82 times in one minute while the world is on fire. How about yours? Yeah. So Chris Pittman from the UK is most pine boards broken in one minute with one hand. I've broken one. Oh. It took me about a minute. Did it? <laughs> so how many would you think that he did? Um, I'm going to go with 157. Mm, 315. So I was close. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly he's ba- breaking multiple at a time. Yeah, I think it was like five in fives. Mm. I feel like he could have pushed himself a little harder. Oh, you do. <laughs> As someone with personal experience. Uh Yeah, just like get it together, Chris. What are you doing? Eva Clark from Australia is the most pull-ups in 24 hours. Oh. And they they, it's also gendered. Like they have these two categories for like male and female, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so how many pull-ups is a person capable of in 24 hours? Um two, final answer. Good. Very close. Three thousand. 737. Absolutely not. Yeah. Who wants to do that many pull-ups? Eva. Eva, honey. Eva Clark. Reach out to us. I know. Explain this desire to me. Do you need a hug? Are you okay? Um, So this is a really famous one. George Hood, who's from the U.S., has the longest plank. Of wood? No. Like, the exercise. You're unfamiliar. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Plank on his elbows, right? Oh, uh uh-huh. Eight hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds. Huh. 
unrelatable. <laughs> Completely unrelatable. <laughs> uh. So Echni Chinoso from Nigeria is the most consecutive football touches in one minute. Basically like toe tapping. Oh, okay. Like on, with the ball. Beep, sure, beep, sure, sure, sure. While balancing a football on his head. A lot of it's happening. My goodness. So this is in one minute. How do you discover you can do that? It's I. These are all such... I think that's why we like it so much. Because we're like, huh. I never thought about that. Huh. Who wants to hold a plank for eight hours? Right. You're like, I just like go to the kitchen, make coffee, go to work, and come home every day. Yeah. There's we, no bouncing of... No, but you know, like, the person who... I'm still fixated on this person who held the plank for eight hours. Because yeah. you know that he had to practice. And which he, means that he held it for multiple times for eight hours. Oh, yeah. Also, he's in his 60s. What does he do in his free time? He does planks. What does he do in his not free time? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he thinks about doing planks. He has stress <laughs> dreams about doing planks. I he lifts heavy things. Yeah, he picks them up and puts them down. Matt Denton from the UK is the largest rideable not he so wait 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 i don't think you ever gave us the answer to the football one. Oh, 111 that's a lot it's a lot i'll give it to him it's a lot it's a lot and matt denton has the largest rideable hexapod robot which basically like looks like a spider it's like okay and the largest hexagon hexapod robot is nine feet two inches tall and 16 feet four inches wide and it's rideable. It's a big boy. Yeah. It sounds like something out of my it's nightmares. It's terrifying. No, yeah. it really is terrifying. It's yeah. like alarming. Like, you do not want to be chased by this. No, no. That sure. sounds like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. Tammy um, and the T-Rex 2.0. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so, Paul Scordino from the US of A has the largest collectible of Funko Pop figurines. Outside ever. of a F- uh, FYE. Which would not be the a personal CD collection. Store? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that where they sell a ton of Funko Pops? Do they still have FYE stores? Oh, yeah. What? Our mall has one. Our mall has one? Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do they sell? Do they sell... They sell CDs and DVDs. They sell CDs? Yeah. They're still in business? Yes. It's on the my, third floor. My mind is blown. Do you not go to the mall to just hang out anymore? Are we not teenagers? I thought they were like... For sure bankrupt. Like, I think I bought, like, a Now That's What I Call Music 5 from an FYE. You probably did. I have bought all of my used copies of um, The L Word from FYE. Wow. The specific FYE, in fact. Oh, my God. We have to go. Okay, we can go. First thing. We uh, have to go. Okay. You tell me when, and I will take you, and I will show you all the I Funko am Pops. like, my mind is blown. That's a Guinness Book of World Record right now, the fact <laughs> that they are still in operation. Wow. They're just enough punk kids who are still, like, all about Wandering it. Wandering the mall. The, the mall is the only place you can go under the age of 16. Yeah, and even now, I think they have rules about you not being there if you're under the age of 16 alone. Really? They're yeah. like, Stop just buying starbucks and that's it yeah we don't want the stereotype anymore yeah where are your parents where are your parents stop stealing shit stop stealing shit for sure my high school friends stole me stole me stole me shit all the time yeah you know who you are yeah um listeners they're listening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah Mm -hmm. 
Have you really lived until you've spent an afternoon in a mall as a teenager? I'm going with no. No, absolutely not. Uh, so Hitoshi Uchinda from Japan has the largest collection of Dragon Ball Z memorabilia at 10,098. It's a lot. My gosh. Wait, are those the Funko Pops? No, those are just like anything DBZ related. Okay, what was the Funko Pop answer? Did I say that? No. I'm just fucking up. 5,306. It's a lot of Funko Pops. Yeah, it is. That's a very specific, like, aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I really hope you got a few for Christmas, because they're also, like, really expensive. There's one over here. Oh, which Ray one? There's one over here. It's the um, the penguin from Batman. Oh, cute. We'll have to post I a can't picture reach of him. it. I can't reach him. That's okay. Okay, so Jordy Geller from the US of A has the largest collection of sneakers slash trainers. Which is, to be honest, like not as high as I thought it would be, but still impressive. It's 2,288 pairs. I mean, that's 2,280 pairs more than most Seriously. people I know. Yeah. Maybe 84 pairs more. But like people who are like sneakerheads or whatever, I'm yeah. like, oh, you, you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few sneakerheads who are like 100 pair maybe. Mm-hmm. Ray keeps all of his sneakers in their box in the closet right behind you. Really? Yeah. There's also a sorting hat in there. Is that a fetish for one or both of you? Not me. Okay. I think he just, he's very aware of taking care of his stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. His items. So the longest gum wrapper chain was 20.22 miles. I thought you were going to go with feet, and I was like, man, we can beat that one. <laughs> we can totally we can do that. A thousand no, we cannot. That one. No. No, the fuck we cannot. No, no. That's a lot of commitment. I'm not there yet. What about the largest model train length? I'm going with 100 miles. Mm, very close, except for not. 849.5 oh. miles. Why? 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 I don't know. That's so far. Like, the only thing I could think of was, like, your house is so big and you're so passionate about trains that you have, like, a train going around the perimeter of your property. But that's not going to be 800 miles. You're right. I don't know how, but... Well, like how do you it's measure a track. This? So think about a track. So a track can go like literally in like a snake pattern for and that's still track. miles. I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying what I think may have happened. <laughs> so in a restaurant in the USA called Serendipity is the most expensive milkshake. I'm going to go with forty five dollars. No, ma'am, one hundred dollars. For a milkshake? $100! There's gold on it. I was about to say, there has to be gold somewhere. (laughs) And you just eat the gold. I think it's gold flex. Sure, sure. But when I get to the point of being able to just eat gold, I feel like I will have really achieved something in life. Yeah. Especially if it's not gold schlager. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Um, Lee Shakiver from the UK has the fastest time to eat a burrito and she is beautiful doing it. 
Most people are beautiful eating burritos. I don't care how messy it gets. I love, you know. I feel like this is one I could actually maybe do. Okay. How fast was it? But not this fast. But close. 35.26 seconds. Oh, we could totally beat that. A burrito Mm. just like to the face? (laughs) A burrito to the face. (laughs) Exactly. Who needs to chew or swallow? You just. You just. You you have to swallow. That's the whole point. They check. Yeah, but you don't like chew and swallow. You just swallow. Yeah, but Heimlich. <laughs> <laughs> Deep <laughs> throat. <laughs> okay, so George Frensen from the USA is the lar- has the largest collection of fossilized poop. A collection I never knew I needed. Yes. Do you did you have the person in the fourth grade that came to talk about like bird pellets? No? No, that's a CMS thing. That's fine. Yeah, no, um, I'm from a very poor rural community. Okay, well. We saw lots of bird pellets, but that's because <laughs> we were all growing up in the middle of no fucking where. We, we legitimately had some. <laughs> we had somebody deliver bird poop to our fourth grade classroom. Maybe it was fifth grade. It was fifth grade now that I think about it. And that was the very first dissection I ever did in school was we had to dissect this bird pellet. I feel like this is the difference between country kids and city kids. Yeah. It's like Jacob and I would just be outside like looking around and shit and be like, well, I wonder what animal this is. Let's poke at it. <laughs> yeah. And you guys literally had it delivered to your classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a fancy education you must have had. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have a very privileged life. I'm so sorry about it. <laughs> Yeah, bird pellets. Yeah, Ray thinks it's ridiculous. Whenever we talk about anything school-related, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? You had X, Y, and Z? And he's like, we had nothing. We played with sticks, so we walked uphill both ways. With no shoes in the middle of winter. With no shoes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we played with sticks, and I found a piece of concrete about an inch and a half down in the dirt and thought it was a dinosaur for a long time. Oh, wow. Yep, I thought it was like, you know... We entertained ourselves in very different ways. <laughs> Your career path. Very Ross Geller, speaking of Thank which, you. you Thank brought you. him up earlier. Yeah. All right. So uh, Douglas and Mary Beth Hare from the USA have the heaviest grapefruit at 7 pounds, 14 ounces. The last two, which I think are the most important, are the tallest horse, which was 6 feet, 10 inches. There is now one taller on TikTok. <gasps> I think. That's a tall ass horse. Yeah. That's so tall. Like you see it and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. I just saw him today. His name was Big John, something like that. Big John. I think yeah. that might be him. Okay. Maybe it's the same one then. But the shortest one, the little Sebastian of it all is one feet, 10 inches. What? Just like a, like think oh. of Obi. Like Obi's that tall. Not quite. Not quite. Close though. But almost. Oh. Also, the oldest sloth in captivity was 48 years old. Oh, I love that. Isn't that sweet? Is it chlamydia or gonorrhea that sloths typically have? Unclear. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely Careful with that with the sloth swipe. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely maybe wash your hands after you touch a sloth. Actually, that's related to my topic for next week. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> But that, my friends, is the Book of World Records. 
Boom. High five. Oh, that was high five for you. I love talking about a fetish and a world record. I wonder if there's a way, instead of intersections this week, is there a way that we can combine them and then request something from the Guinness Book of World Records and get in the Guinness Book of World Records? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know what we could do. Most Hamilton and L word references on a podcast. I think we're definitely onto something. Yeah. Um, yeah. A very niche right right five sure yeah hippocrates episodes on a podcast under 50 episodes that's exactly that's exactly right yeah so what i do think is is intersectional about our topics is that people are basically basically like looking at the the things in the guinness book of world records kind of like what we talked about in the pt barnum episode as um sensationalized and yeah. for their like entertainment and consumption sure. and i would i would argue maybe people are consuming content related to fetishes in the same way Ooh. although okay it is much more personal than that for like the act but there is like media and consumable content yeah i'll give you that one i think that's a great intersection um i was like racking my brain and the only thing i could come up with was self-disclosure like oh okay um yeah identifying yeah like is this a thing that you identify with Mm -hmm. but i feel like that's just kind of a loose tangent not really a strong intersection yours was much stronger well i'm so strong i should be in the book look it up it's in the thing (laughs) yeah i loved though like i think we're all interested in things we might like be a little bit curious about yeah you know and i think that's also like an intersection about like dabbling in the oh that's a dabbling in both right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like when we look at fetishes people are kind of like i could sort of see some of this and then you look at the guest book of world records and you're like i could totally do some of this I Except could definitely you absolutely cannot skate flat to the ground and for a football field instead for of half, half a football, football field. field or however many meters I said. Yeah. I could definitely not do something or do that in my entire life. I think I could hold a plank for nine hours and 17 minutes mm, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So no, if you'll contact, no argument. <laughs> yeah, right. if you'll contact the Guinness book for me. <laughs> Oh, Um, man. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's a level of intrigue and interest and also um, maybe a little bit of comparison for both. Like there's something about both that draws people in and Mm -hmm. like makes you question things. Sensationalized. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. Love it. Me too. Great job. Yeah. I feel really uh, excited to go and... Find out what was popping in the Guinness Book of World Records and what would have been the early 2000s. Oh, so many. I think, like, like think about what was big in the early 2000s. Like, baggiest matching pants set. Yeah. You know. Velour jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lowest pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um butterfly clips how many butterfly clips could you fit in your could hair? you put in your hair yeah point yeah the longest fingernails is really the only image that sticks out to and me. i thought that i had put that in my notes but i guess i didn't maybe um, you just knew 
that that would be the one that fascinated me. Yeah. And that I would bring it up. But what I didn't realize, I actually saw a video of the woman who was from 2021 who had, because I, I had her, I had researched her. I guess I just didn't put her in my notes. That's why it sounded familiar. But um, they, they sawed them off. So she had to start over. So that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they do that every year and then they just regrow them. Or... Like, can you grow your fingernails that long in a year? I don't know. We can find out. We cannot find out. That is not for you, honey. No. We know why. (laughs) (laughs) For fetishes. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And whatnot. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. This was a super fun episode. Great job, CI. Great job, Allie. Love you. Love you, you big stack of pancakes. And I love all of you out there who are listening and if you would not mind leaving us a five-star review and tell us all of your favorite things to research um favorite fetishes if you would like maybe don't put that on apple maybe like just do it message us about it because we're curious for sure (laughs) we are um yeah so please leave us a five-star review tell us all of the things you can also find us on patreon at podcast without an audience um there's our secret pasta recipe which is a hot commodity these days Mm -hmm. um allison will also send you stickers and magnets and um a sweet little note and unconditional love you guys so also guys keeping in mind (laughs) the seven of pentacles which is like long-term goals thinking ahead not just living in the moment. Also a little bit of mine, like doing what feels right in your heart. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of yours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go back shrimp. and listen to some old episodes and glean any knowledge that you would like and carry it with you throughout the week. Absolutely. And definitely let somebody know about the podcast that is your BFF. Anybody that you feel like is in line with our weirdness Shit. i don't know <laughs> who wants to join the island of misfit toys oh please come we there's love you there's room for more oh goodness if you support us blink twice if you are out there keep listening <laughs> hey a second uh accent there you go hey adding it to the list <laughs> thank you for listening to podcast without an audience Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.